You are listening to the Rising Phoenix podcast. This is a podcast about maternal mental health. Disclaimer, we are not professionals. We are moms who've experienced this ourselves and want to share our stories and stop the stigma. Heads up, some content may be triggering. We are recording from the Stone Sheba podcast studio in Provo, Utah. Check them out on Instagram for more info on our podcast and more. Hey everybody, this is Leslie. And I'm Lindsay. And we are here with Amanda. Hi. (laughs) Um, We are just so grateful that Amanda um, reached out to us on Instagram to share her story. And um, I'm just so grateful because a lot of our stories are from women after they've experienced, um, you know, their trauma or their trials with maternal mental health and all things. And you are in it right now. And that's such a fragile space. So I just want you to know that I'm so grateful that you are brave and willing to come here and share your story with us while you're in it. Of course. I'm just grateful that you guys want to hear my story. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So go ahead. Okay. So I um, was pregnant with Milo. We kind of already picked out a name before. Um, And let's see. It was towards the end of... July, um, well, more towards the middle, more like, and, um, my pregnancy had been completely normal up until this, up until this point. And, um, one day I was outside with my family, we were playing cornhole (laughs) and like my whole extended family was there. I had had, um, a little bit of pelvic floor pain. And so I was just kind of like slow moving and just like standing up, sitting down, things were kind of hard, but I didn't think anything of it. And so, um, I was playing cornhole and I felt a very small gush. It almost felt like, um, if you're on your period and you've been sitting down for a while and then you stand up. And so I thought that I had started bleeding. So I quickly ran to the bathroom and checked and there was no blood. It was only like, discharge really just like an increase of discharge so I was like oh nothing's it's just pregnancy stuff because that happens and then that was on a Sunday and then throughout the week following that I still had like an increase of discharge and at one point it started looking almost like cottage cheese kind of gross I know but um, how how many weeks were you I was I was at I want to say because they had my due date wrong so it kind of got adjusted while I was in the hospital but I want to say I was probably at like 22 or 20 22 and a half maybe okay at that point um and um lost my train of thought oh so during the next week it there was still discharge um and then probably on Thursday, it was like, looked like cottage cheese, kind of super gross. I hate explaining it like that. That's what happens. It's okay. <laughs> Bodies are weird, aren't they? Yeah, so true. <laughs> but um, I was kind of, honestly, at first I was like a little embarrassed because like, crap, it's a yeast infection. I don't know why I was so embarrassed to go to my doctor and talk to him about that. So I was just like, okay, I'll just watch it and see what happens because I wasn't sure what was going on. I didn't have any other symptoms of a yeast infection, so I was like, it's probably not. And then I started bleeding a tiny bit. It was just like mixed in with the discharge, and so it wasn't like bright red gushing blood. 
And I thought that it was probably just because sometimes if you have sex when you're pregnant, you can yeah, and they tell you it's normal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So all of these things I was able to like reason away and I didn't think anything of them. Then Monday rolled around. So that was an entire week basically from when I first felt the initial gush. And I woke up and my underwear was very wet and there was like a little bit of mucus in there. And so I was like, okay, this doesn't really feel right. I'm not quite sure what's going on. This is my first pregnancy. I don't really know much about it. And so I called my doctor and talked to one of the nurses and told her everything that happened. And she also was like, well, I don't really think anything's wrong. Discharge increases during pregnancy. And she was able to also kind of just make sense of all the things. And so I was like, okay, it's probably just normal. And then later that evening, we went over to my grandma and grandpa's house for dinner and we do like a family home evening thing. And, um, I just, on the drive over, I was feeling unsettled about it. I just wasn't sure. I was texting my husband and I was like, honey, I'm kind of scared. Like, I don't know what's going on. I I just don't feel right about it. And so I called, no, my husband called me and we FaceTimed. I like stepped outside and we talked and he was like, he was kind of like, well, the nurse said you're okay. So you're probably okay. And I was like, I'm just going to call. Like it was the after hours thing. And so I called and they said that a nurse would be calling me back. And I was like, great, it's probably the same nurse that I already talked to today. So I was kind of embarrassed, but I was like, at the same time, I was like, well, we'll see. Better safe than sorry, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, my family had started like doing family home evening stuff and I just was not like, I was just so scared and nervous that I went into the other room. <laughs> I remember I was hanging out with my three-year-old cousin she was just like playing games and I'm like super emotional and my doctor calls me back and he's like um at this point I was gosh I think 23 weeks is what they thought but in reality I was probably more like 23 and a half but um I my doctor was like well you have two choices you can either come in and see me first thing tomorrow morning and we can do all the tests and see if you're leaking amniotic fluid or not. Because that means your water probably is, like your membranes have ruptured and you'll be going into labor early. He's like, or you can go to Utah Valley Hospital and they'll probably, he made it kind of sound like I was gonna, they were gonna try and deliver the baby like right away. And so I was like, well, I don't really want to deliver him because he also gave me like some scary statistics and was like he doesn't have a good chance of survival because it's like before the edge of like the time of viability which is 24 weeks and so I'm kind of freaking out and I remember I texted my mom I think she was even giving the lesson for the family evening and I texted her and I was like hey when you're done will you come in talk to me I've got some like I'm just kind of going through something I don't remember how I worded it And then, like, two minutes later, I was like, okay, I can't wait any longer. I was like, mom, can you come in, like, right now? I need you right now. And so my mom came in, and I told her what was going on, and um, she was like, well, let's just go to the hospital, because you're not going to be able to sleep tonight. You're going to be stressed. We don't know what's going on. Let's just go to the hospital. And I was like, okay, let's do it. And then... um, my dad and my uncle gave me a blessing 
and then we drove down to the hospital and my husband was going to meet us there because he has he was at work and so we drive down to the hospital i'm like a mess i just don't know what's going to happen part of me was kind of in denial i was like nothing can be wrong i've had such a normal pregnancy like I just didn't expect anything to be wrong, and but part of me was terrified that something was wrong. And so we go to the hospital, we get checked in, and they get me in a room, and my husband comes, and they start doing all the tests, and there's two tests that they do to check for amni- amniotic fluid. The first one is just like a strip of paper, like a test strip almost, and if it turns... I can't remember what color. If it turns a different color, (laughs) it means that it could be amniotic fluid, and then they test it further. And so that one came back positive, and then about um, 30, 45 minutes later, the other one came back positive as well, the more, like, for sure one. And so we don't really know what's going on at this point. We just, they come in and tell us that it was amniotic fluid, but that all the doc- like the maternal fetal medicine doctors weren't there and because it was like almost 10 o'clock at night and that we'd have to wait until the morning to get in and see them and the on-call like OB came in and he was like well your water broke possibly we're not really sure but we're gonna try and keep your baby in there until 34 weeks and I, he was like, ideally, till 34 weeks is when we want to get the baby there. And so... Had they done an ultrasound or tested heartbeat or anything? They put a heart monitor on um, and a contraction monitor, but they had not done an ultrasound Okay. at this point. And I don't know why they didn't, now that I think about it. <laughs> huh. Seems kind of strange to me, but... But they were picking up the heartbeat and yeah. everything was... Yeah. Okay. And his heartbeat was really good. It was okay. really easy to find. Well... It was, but not because he kept moving around. So, okay. Um, the my doctor, I mean, just the on-call doctor, like, didn't spend very much time with us. I'm sure he was pr- probably pretty busy, and we just were kind of like, okay, so. <laughs> so did they want to keep you overnight, or did they send you home? Yeah. So they kept me overnight, and they told me that they would keep me at the hospital until I delivered. Oh, okay. And so I was like, well, how long is that going to be? Because they were like, we ideally want to get you to 34 weeks. Don't, And we don't know if that's possible, but mm-hmm. that's like when baby's lungs are most developed. Yeah. Ten, 10 weeks? Yeah. So that would have been 10 weeks. And were you feeling hopeful after hearing we were. the heartbeat? Yeah, so we <clears throat> we were feeling hopeful. We felt like... I mean, they made it sound like it was possible for us to get to 34 weeks. And so we were like, okay, well, I mean, it's not fun that I have to be bedridden for 10 weeks, but it's better than delivering super early. And so then that night, because of the heart monitor, I couldn't sleep on my sides Um, They just couldn't find his heartbeat when I was on my side. Because he was so small, he was, like, still moving around, and he would, like, they would find it, and then he'd move and switch positions, and then they'd have to move the heart monitor, and it was really hard. It's an exhausting night for you. Yeah, I didn't sleep at all. So Mm. they probably, we probably, 
my husband left the hospital to go get some stuff because we're like well we're in for the long haul so let's get some stuff and then tomorrow we can get more and whatever and um by the time he came back and we got ready to go to bed it was probably oh gosh I don't even remember it was probably like two in the morning so then I wasn't able to sleep because I couldn't sleep on my sides and I can't sleep on my back I'm just not a back sleeper and so I just didn't sleep at all plus I was like so worried I didn't know what was gonna happen and then they came in in the morning it was probably around seven they're like, we're going to take you down to meet with the maternal fetal medicine team. I was like, okay, whatever. I didn't really know anything that was going on. They were just throwing me all these different types of doctors and specialists. And I'm like overwhelmed. And then they're like, just take care of me. <laughs> yeah. Just do yeah. what you need to do. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I don't really care. Just take me where I need to go and tell me what's going on. Yeah. And so they wheel me all the way down to the maternal fetal medicine team. And it's quite a walk. It's like pretty long actually. And here I am in my hospital gown and they like kind of like put a blanket over me to kind of cover everything up. And um, so they take me down there and um, they do an ultrasound. And then the doctor comes in and she was it was hard because I felt like she didn't, it was just kind of like, she just gave us the facts and then was just kind of like, sorry, (laughs) like there's nothing we can do. And I just remember being like, just so overwhelmed. So basically what had happened was my cervix had dilated to about, I don't remember exactly, either a two or two and a half at that point. And because of that, my membranes, they hadn't completely ruptured. They think that they ruptured probably up towards the top. And then um, they prolapsed out my cervix. So there was basically like a balloon of an amniotic sac coming out of my cervix into my vagina. And um, Milo's feet were actually, he was breech at the time. So his little feet were kicking basically out of my cervix almost. Um, and, um, they told us that we would have to do an emergency ultrasound, I mean, emergency ultrasound, emergency C-section, um, probably the next morning, if not that evening. And so, but then they told me that because he was so small and my uterus was still really small, um, they would have to cut me vertically in order to get him out or else he would be stuck. My uterus wasn't wide enough. And so um, they would have to cut me vertically. And then they gave all these scary things that can happen because of it. And one of them that I remember very vividly them saying was, you could develop placenta accreta in further pregnancies, which is where the uter- I mean, the um, placenta implants really deeply into the uterine wall and it's because of that scar tissue that's there and then um when you have your baby you could like bleed out through the placenta Mm -hmm. and then they have to do a hysterectomy 
And so they're giving me all this information. It's like, okay, well, we're going to have to deliver your baby. And he's at like, this is when they switched. They're like, he's at about 24 weeks right now. So he's right on the edge of viability. And so we're going to have to deliver him. And the statistics were kind of scary for his survival. So there's that in my head. And then I'm like, I don't know if he's going to survive. And then they're like, there's a possibility that you might only have one more pregnancy after this because you might have to have a hysterectomy. So you're just trying to process all of the things. Yes. Not only was it like, I might lose this baby, but I might only have the chance to have one more. And that was just like, that was not ever what I wanted. I wanted a few kids and... I mean, my husband came from a family of eight kids, and I had four kids in my family. And so we were like, well, we kind of want, like, four kids maybe. And so it kind of just, like, ripped all those dreams away from me of having, like, a family of more than just one baby, you know? And so at that point, um, I'm, like, crying, of course, and just kind of in shock and this maternal fetal medicine doctor didn't really give me a firm like this is what we're going to do and like there was just nothing they could do which is really weird for me it was weird for me to come to terms with that because you think like a doctor like can fix anything right like but in reality there's only so much they can do which was kind of weird maybe it was naive of me to think that they could fix anything but I was like really hopeful that they could you know put your trust in them and Mm -hmm. yeah and so like I said I was crying and I also have anxiety and I, I have since I was a little girl but one of the things when I get really anxious is I like gag and throw up (laughs) so here I am and it's like way early in the morning I am I like look like a mess I'm crying I'm gagging and they're like wheeling me down the hospital back upstairs and it was horrible (laughs) and then um me and my husband they like got us back they got me back into my room um and I remember um I like got up to go to the bathroom and me and my husband just like stood there like crying for a pretty long time just because we're like two young parents and it was just really scary um and then the nurse came back in and she said that she had talked to my doctor and he wanted to put me on complete bed rest so she came in she put a catheter in and I was like if I don't know why I just always thought the catheter just sounds so uncomfortable and painful and it wasn't as painful as I thought it was just uncomfortable and so I was confined to my bed and they had me on um I forgot to mention that they had put me on medication the first night that I was in the hospital so they put me on a medication called that magnesium sulfate and that is to help with Milo's brain it helps kind of they explained it that it kind of calms down the brain so that um when he's born he's less likely to get brain bleeds which is a big deal when when a baby's this small because their the little vessels in their brain are like as thin as a piece of paper so they 
um, break really easily. Um, so they did that, and then they also were giving me steroid shots to kind of help develop his lungs further because they're so underdeveloped. Um, so then I finally got some sleep, <laughs> luckily, and then we had a lot of visitors come. My family's all here, so we had a bunch of people visiting. Then that night, my doctor came back. I mean, well, he came for the first time, actually, my OB, and he did an ultrasound. Oh, I forgot this one little part of the story. So he did an ultrasound, and Milo had flipped, so he was no longer breech. So my doctor was like, we can do a vaginal delivery. And one thing I forgot to say was that the maternal fetal medicine team told us there was no way that we could flip him. Because sometimes if babies are breech, you know, they can manually flip them Mm -hmm. if they're full term. Um, And, but with him, he was too small and they couldn't, they wouldn't be able to find him and flip him and... Um, the other thing was we asked if he could, if he would move on his own. They're like, we don't know. There's, there's absolutely no way he can. We really don't think that he's going to be able to. And because he's so far down, his feet were like down past, almost past my cervix. And so we were like, okay, well, we're doomed to do an, a C-section. But then my doctor came and it was a huge miracle that he had flipped. You could like when my doctor did the ultrasound, I remember it, it was like, I had a couple visitors and my sisters were there and I think it was my aunt and uncle and he was like, he flipped. And we all just kind of like sat there in silence for a second, like looking at each other, like, is this real? Like, did he really flip? Is this real life right now? Because it was just so miraculous and we, it was like almost like sacred. <laughs> it was kind of cool. And um, so my doctor recommended, he thought maybe we could do this procedure called a Russian cerclage, which is basically where he would um, use like a, kind of like a balloon instrument, sort of, to kind of push the membranes back up through my cervix into my uterus and then stitch my cervix shut. But he was wanting to wait until the morning to do that because we had to do an amniocentesis to make sure I didn't have any infection in the uterus because that's really common when you have, um, like when your membranes rupture prematurely. And so he was like, we'll wait until the morning to see, but we might be able to do this and keep him in there a little bit longer. And so then the morning rolls around and he comes back Luckily, I do have to say, I had one nurse this night, and I loved her. She, like, I um, was like, listen, Courtney. Courtney was her name. I was like, listen, I did not sleep at all last night because I couldn't lay on my side. Do you think there's any way you can help me lay on my side so I can sleep tonight? And she's like, yeah, I think we can make that happen. And she was a rock star, and she did it. And it was the best thing because I needed some sleep. I was, like, so sleep-deprived. and also magnesium sulfate is I think from hell (laughs) because it is I mean it's so helpful but it makes you feel so bad Mm. like just the worst headache and you feel like feverish and just hot it was horrible 
grateful for it, but it was horrible. <laughs> yeah, super uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah. So then we woke up the next morning um, and I'm trying to think. My doctor came back in and he did another ultrasound and Milo's hand was up by his face. And so he was like, um, we'll have to do a C-section again if you go like into labor because his hand is by his face. And because he was so small and premature, he, um, there, he could have like no trauma during birth. It had to be like really smooth because, you know, bigger babies sometimes have to like suffer trauma in birth and they can handle it a lot better than a small baby like Milo. And so, um, that's why he had to be, um, well, why he was thinking he had to be delivered by C-section. And, um, but I wasn't super worried at that point because I had just seen like this crazy miracle where he absolutely completely flipped. And so I was like, well, I mean, if he can flip, he can put his hand down. Yeah. And I, he moved a ton when I was pregnant with him. He was always moving, so I was like, okay, I'm not super concerned. Like, I had a feeling he would move his hand, and so I wasn't really concerned about that. But at this point, the Russian cerclage was basically um, off the table because I had dilated further, and I was about at a three and a half that morning. And so normally, I'm a pretty, maybe a pessimistic person. Um, I like to think I'm a realist, like a more of a realist, but my husband's like, hey, you're kind of a pessimist. And I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> um, and so, um, well, a lot of, I just am like, I think all of us are just really afraid of any sort of pain that we're going to experience. And so what my brain does, I think probably because I have anxiety is like it over, like it gets really scared of that. And so it will try to like protect me almost and so I just think of like the worst case scenario and then that isn't helpful because I'm just spending all of this time just like worrying and being miserable and so I remember I had one moment where I was like I have no idea what's going to happen and I can either choose to be hopeful about it or I can choose to do this thing that I've always done my entire life where I just am miserable all the time because I'm worrying about what's happening and I really think that God gave me the strength during that to just be like you know what I'm gonna choose to be hopeful and I remember it had to be like a conscious choice it wasn't just like natural for me and so I remember being like okay I'm gonna just try to be hopeful Um, even though it's really hard because I'd rather spend this time like being hopeful than like looking back and being like why was I worried all the time when I could have spent this time like in peace you know Mm -hmm. even if something bad does happen and so I remember just constantly consciously choosing that and that kind of goes along with the same thing when I was like well he flipped already so I wasn't super worried about him being able to move his hand because I was like well I'm choosing hope and I'm hopeful that he's going to and um so then 
Um, let's see. The night rolls around. My doctor comes back in one more time. Does an ultrasound, and he had moved his hand. And at that point, I think I was dilated probably to a four, is what he said. And um, so then that night, I just kind of had this feeling that like Milo was going to come that night. Like I just kind of felt it. And um, so I told my husband, I was like, honey, I, I want you to be able to sleep because like you have to, like even if I can't sleep, I want you to get some sleep because um, when I deliver Milo, you can go into the room where they'll be working on him and I can't and you'll have to make any sort of decision and so I want you well rested because like I totally trust my husband to make the right decision and so I just was like I want you to be well rested though so you can make that decision and um so that night I just was kind of like it was so mild it was just like like um a really light backache almost and I was like it started out probably around 7 p.m. and it almost kind of felt like I just had to go to the bathroom like I was just so bloated because I hadn't wanted to go poop because honestly I'd have to do it in a bedpan and yeah. I was fully on bed rest <laughs> right and not to mention I'm like scared like how do you, you go poop when you're like about to have this baby and oh, you don't yeah. want to push too hard anyways it was and how long had you been in the hospital at this point so this like was Wednesday days? okay so I was admitted Monday night and then this was Wednesday night so two days so far okay yeah and so I finally broke down and I told my nurse and I was like I just I have to go to the bathroom I, I hate it but I have to go <laughs> and she's like okay so she got the bedpan I finally went to the bathroom it's horrible don't recommend it to anyone oh, oh. <laughs> um really humbling um I'm sure. to have someone wipe your butt yeah that was fun <laughs> <laughs> um and so then and I'm sure this nurse was very competent, but in the situation, like, it just was, maybe our personalities weren't right for each other, but I was like, it just, we didn't work well together. I had had amazing nurses up until this point, um, and then this one nurse, we just, we just, it just wasn't a good fit, and oh. so I was trying to, like, talk to her and ask her questions and stuff, and I just remember, like, I here I am at 24 weeks I haven't done like any research about I haven't taken a class on how to deliver a baby and I was just kind of like planning on doing an epidural and so I'm like talking to her and I ask her so I really want an epidural can you make sure that happens and she's like I I can't guarantee anything a lot of times nurses would be like I will do my best they'll like reassure you you know but this nurse was like not reassuring at all she's just like i don't know if i can do that we don't know when you're gonna go into labor we don't know if the anesthesiologist can get here in, in time she's like i just don't know and i was like that's not the right way to word that <laughs> i know not if you're a nurse yeah Come on. seriously and especially <laughs> for a young mom who is delivering a baby at 24 and a half weeks yeah i would think that they would 
but she would be able to like try and be reassuring but she wasn't and I kept like just everything I would say something I remember my cousin came to visit me this was before like I had to go poop and everything my cousin came to visit me and I just was super emotional and crying and my nurse the nurse was just like I know it's hard but it was always like I know it's hard but and she would always be like but you just have to like do this or do this and I'm like they need to switch her departments (laughs) honestly (laughs) and um I was like that just totally like invalidates everything she's like saying she knows it's hard but then like totally and she could have just stopped there I know this is hard yeah right that would have been way more validating yes mm-hmm. or just like i know i'm so sorry this is so hard yeah just something like that could have been enough yeah um and so that night i like asked her because the night before they gave me one ambien and then they had to give me another one because it like wasn't working the one wasn't and so but then once i got that second one i went right to sleep and so I asked her, I was like, can you see if I can just get two Ambien right off the bat? And then I can go to sleep. And then she's like, um, she called my doctor and I guess he didn't want her to do that. And so then she came back and was like, I can only do one. And I was like complaining, but like kind of joking, you know, I was like, oh man. And then she just like, same thing. I know, but, Mm -hmm. and so then, um, I started having contractions and I like had her come in. I remember being just kind of confused because it was like the middle of the night. It was probably like midnight and she'd already given me an Ambien and I was just kind of like really tired and delirious, but I couldn't sleep. Oh, another thing is she couldn't, um, she had, because I had to go poop, (laughs) I was in a certain position that they couldn't hear like find milo's heartbeat and so um then when she came back it took her a really long time to find it again and i wasn't super stressed because this was happening like this was a constant battle like his heartbeat was totally consistent and then he would move and it would be gone and then they'd have to find it so i wasn't i wasn't worried at this point but she was like you've been we haven't been able to like monitor his heart rate for a long time so we need to find it but she couldn't find it when I was on my side so I had to lay on my back I couldn't sleep plus I'm having contractions I can't really hold still and um the contraction monitor wasn't picking up my contractions so I was saying I was having contractions but she was like are you really the contraction monitor is not picking it up and I was like yes I really am and um she wasn't like super convinced that I was going into labor and um, I finally had to download an app on my phone to track my own contractions because she wasn't doing anything and the monitor wasn't doing anything. And um, they also weren't, um, my doctor told them, like, do not check her cervix because um, he didn't want them to introduce any, like, possible, like, infections Um, I was already at such a high risk for infections that they just were like, don't even mess with it. And also he didn't want them rupturing it completely. 
because then I'd go like right into labor and we didn't know how far dilated I needed to be in order to deliver Milo because he was so small and so um I'm just like here my husband's asleep I think at one point I don't super remember because it was way I was so tired they gave me another Ambien so I had had two Ambien um and I think I called my parents and they came for a little bit while they're trying to find like right after I'd gone to the bathroom they came um when they were trying to find his heart rate again and then they left and then I was having all these contractions and then um I like called her to come back in and I was like I feel like I have to go poop again and she's like oh no that could be like a sign that you're gonna have this baby any minute so then it was like everyone was just rushing like they called another nurse in I think and I'm just like trying to wake up my husband I was like call my parents like I think I'm going into labor and I was like they wanted to be there and I was like call your mom his mom and his grandma had driven up from St. George and um so this was probably at like four in the morning I want to say um and they like called my doc I think they called my doctor at this point and to have him like come in they called the on-call doctor or they called the on-call doctor first and then he was like check her cervix even though my doctor said not to I don't know I don't know why and then they were like give her this medication and so they gave me a medication and then they put me back on magnesium sulfate because I guess it's best if you have more in your system right when you deliver I don't know I don't know how it works I'm not a doctor (laughs) (laughs) and then they like just it was just chaos and at one point I had asked my nurse I was like so I really want to get an ultrasound because Courtney the nurse the night before was like able to do an ultrasound and be like okay he looks good because we were worried about what position he was in Mm -hmm. because if I had gone into labor and his little feet slipped down and what would happen is his head would basically get stuck and then you can't pull him either way and then that's like so much trauma to him so much possible brain damage and then another traumatic thing that could happen was if the umbilical cord prolapsed because then it would cut off his oxygen supply and if that happens, you have to deliver... The doctor was like, you have to deliver that baby within 30 minutes of that happening. And even then, like, that baby doesn't usually have a very good chance of survival. And so we needed to know what position he was in. It was pretty urgent. It was, like, pretty high risk, really big deal. And so I asked my nurse, and she's like, I actually don't really know how to do ultrasound super well. I can, like, make out a head, but that's about it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like okay can you get somebody from radiology in here yeah seriously and um finally my doctor got there and he obviously can do an ultrasound and can find where the baby is and all that and so he came in did an ultrasound milo was still in like with his head down so that i could deliver him vaginally and then he's like well do you want an epidural do you not i'm like yeah i do want an epidural so then they got the anesthesiologist in um and that was that was like a horrible experience so they only let one person in there so i was like okay my husband 
And so my family all left. And um, it was my mom, my dad, my two sisters, and Skylar's mom and his grandma that were there. So they all left and went into the waiting room while they were trying to do get this epidural in. And so we have this nurse that is not, like, very understanding of the situation, isn't really sympathetic. Anyways. And I felt like at so- like she was kind of treating me like it was just a normal labor and delivery. And I'm like, this isn't a normal labor and delivery. Yeah. It's a little bit high risk. And so, anyways. So then the anesthesiologist is trying to get this in. And he comes in and he's like, okay, lay down on your side. So I lay down on my side. And he's like, I'll walk you through everything and I'll tell you what you need to do. And then he didn't walk me through it, didn't tell me what I needed to do. And I had, like, wanted to find out what an epidural was going to feel like. I just, no one had ever told me what an epidural was going to feel like. And so I was like, okay, but before I went into premature labor, I wanted to know what an epidural was going to feel like. But I never got that chance to do that research. So I'm really scared of the epidural. And... I don't know what it's going to feel like. And so then he, um, I don't know if you guys have had an epidural, but. I have, yeah. Okay, so they like numb you first and then they stick the needle in and try and find that spot. So he numbed me, he stuck the needle in and tried to find it and that needle wasn't long enough, I guess. So he went and got a longer needle. I don't know. I'm just glad I didn't have to watch it. My husband said, he was like, I was amazed at how far they stuck the needle in and how long that needle was. And I'm like, oh, I don't even want to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, he tried and couldn't get it. And so he's like, okay, let's have you sit up. So um, I sat up and he's like, now lean over. And so I was like leaning over and holding my husband's hands. And he tried two more times, couldn't get it. And so we're at four times right now. He's tried four times oh. to get it. And... I'm a mess at this point because it hurts. Like, I can feel the needle in there. It's creeping me. It's, like, creepy. It's, I don't even know how else to explain it. It just is kind of gross. It makes me feel weird. And anyways, and so I'm, like, freaking out, and I'm on two Ambien and also back on magnesium sulfate. So I'm, like, dripping sweat. Mm. I just feel horrible, and... I'm just anxious and nervous and so I like start crying and like kind of freaking out and I'm just so like delirious and so my husband is like and you're still contracting yes yeah okay so I still having contractions and the anesthesiologist I'm sure he's a great guy it was probably just a bad moment for him but um he was like you're having a panic attack you need to calm down and I was like... How the heck are you supposed to calm down? Right? And how is that supposed to just calm me down, you know? Never in the history of being told to calm down has every has anyone ever calmed down. <laughs> right? That's oh not how you gosh. get someone to calm down. No. And I was in so much pain and I was so delirious. Normally I'm like a really pleasant person and I like like to be really nice to the nurses and everything and... But I, like, snapped at him, and I was like, of course I'm having a panic attack. Yeah, hello. I'm like, check the scene, dude. Like, look what's going on. I'm so sorry. It was horrible. And so then my husband was like, we need to get her mom in here. I really think that's going to calm her down. And the anesthesiologist was like, I really don't think that's going to do anything. (laughs) And I'm like, 
luckily i was so delirious at this point that it didn't really feel like that offensive but it now looking back i'm like just kind of outraged at how he treated me mm-hmm. but like in the moment it was just kind of like i wasn't really there so i wasn't really even hearing these things being said and my husband was like no he really she really needs her mom in here and he's like he's like okay whatever and then at one point i remember so then my mom came in and was able to get me to calm down and i was able to like explain to them why i was freaking out because the whole time i was like doing that thing with my back trying to like fold over i like didn't they just kept saying like they're like you need to keep trying and i'm like i am trying and she's like i know it's hard but (laughs) again with that she's like i know it's hard but you need to just like keep trying and i was like okay like how like what what am i doing wrong basically but i was so anxious and delirious that i just couldn't even like at first realize what i was anxious about And so then finally I calmed down enough to be like, okay, this is why I'm anxious. I don't know what it's going to feel like. And I, you know, like when you get your blood drawn, they're like, okay, it's going to be a prick and then it'll be gone. So you're like, okay, I can endure the pain because I know, like, I know what to expect. Sure. And I know when it's going to end. Well, I didn't know what that was going to be like with the epidural. They didn't explain it to me. And I could like feel him fishing around in my back and it just, it felt horrible. And so, um... So I was able to voice those two things. They, like, explained it. And then I tried again with my mom there. And I remember I was so hot. The whole time before my mom came in, I was trying to take my gown off. Just, like, let it fall off as I was folded over. But the nurse kept, like, pulling it back on. Probably thinking that I would be embarrassed if I was, like, exposed. But at that point, I had no cares in the world. So my mom came in and... Then I asked the nurse, I was like, can I just, like, take this off? Like, I don't care who sees me. It was, like, my husband, my mom, the nurse, and the anesthesiologist. I'm like, I don't care. Like, so I just took it off. And I was, like, dripping with sweat. And he still was not able to get the epidural. And so he tried six times to get it. And I don't even know why I let him try six times, honestly. That was because I still, to this day, have back pain because of it. Mm. So I really shouldn't have let him try six times, but I was really desperate to get an epidural. He wasn't just like a nurse anesthetist. He was like an anesthesiologist, a doctor. And so he's like, I've never not been able to get an epidural and this is the first time I haven't been able to. And so, and he said it was something to do with the anatomy of my back. I have no idea. I don't even know. Mm. Um, But then, um, then it was basically time for me to deliver they took me down to the or they got me all ready they um had the let's see so they my family all left in the waiting room they're all in the waiting room they took me down to the or and i remember as i was being wheeled into the or And almost beforehand when I was experiencing contractions and stuff, there was kind of, like, this unexplainable, like, wave of calm come over me. It was kind of, like, I had never felt something like that in such a high-stress situation. So, and it's really rare for me to, like, feel that kind of thing. So I really think it was, like, God just calming me down 
and helping me and i really also believe that women are we're a lot stronger than we think we are and so i knew that um i knew what i needed to do to get milo here safely and my instincts just kicked in honestly like i just was able to do it and so they took me down to the or and i remember being so like i had never been in in an operating room before and so i was just like i remember they wheeled me in and if you've ever been in an operating room it smells weird it like has this sterile smell that you can't explain it's cold it's really cold so cold and it's just like everything is like white and bright and it just feels like so harsh and so I was just kind of scared and um but I remember just being like nope I'm not gonna let myself even go there and I was just for I I don't know it just was amazing (laughs) and um then they had me deliver Milo and um um he came out in two pushes (laughs) so that was kind of good it was really good because we needed to get him here really fast and I remember like um the doctor had my we didn't think this was gonna happen but the doctor had my husband cut the umbilical cord which was kind of sweet we didn't think that was gonna happen and then they immediately just like whisked Milo off into the other room I honestly remember her carrying him um I like looked to the side and barely barely saw like a blur of just like Mm -hmm. skin and so I didn't hear him. He didn't cry when he was first born. Um, they had to resuscitate him. I don't really know what happened in the other room. I was too busy, like, delivering the placenta and yeah. all that stuff. And then they took me. It was really fast. It happened really fast. I delivered really, really fast. And so then they took me back to the the room and, like, took care of stuff. You know, how it all happens when you have a baby. And then they wheeled me to the NICU and so I got to see him and I remember the first thing he was so so tiny he was one pound eight ounces and um 12 inches long and so I remember the first thing that I like my first thought when I saw him was just like oh my gosh he has fingernails yeah it was just so crazy because he was so tiny and I was like just shocked and like just the detail of him it was so amazing i can just see how much you love your sweet boy oh. yeah <laughs> he was perfect he still is <laughs> oh man <laughs> Um, and then it was all just kind of a blur. Like, man, I didn't think I was going to get this emotional. Well, actually, I did. (laughs) Um, he had, I mean, I could go into detail of everything that happened at the NICU, but it's just, there's just ups and downs, and it was so, so hard because there would be days where it's like they would give you this devastating piece of news and then you don't know what to do with it. You're like, well, I'm. you have to leave the NICU and not know what's going to happen to your baby. 
and you had to go to sleep at night not knowing you know like am i gonna wake up to a phone call my phone was constantly on and i remember home so i was at the hospital until i discharged friday i was discharged on friday and then i was at home luckily we just live in orem so it's not that far of a drive but um yeah kind of a rough start and then he did better and then he his lung there was like his lung um got like a tear in it and so then they had to put a chest tube in which is horrible to see and they had him on morphine and then they were able to take that out and he was doing a lot better and then we were able to hold him because it depends on like the ventilator that he's on which um that kind of depended like determined if we could hold him or not and then we were able to hold him a couple times and then he passed away and it all just happened so fast like um so he man i'm like so emotional right now just remembering everything um so what happened was um sunday morning we got a phone call and they told us that he was his oxygen needs had gone up which is kind of like the first sign that something is maybe not right maybe they're getting sick maybe they have an infection you know which he had had an infection before and was treated with an antibiotic and he had gotten better so we were just kind of like well this again okay um but they were like he looks really good like his color looks good he looks really happy we don't really know what's going on and they thought maybe it was a couple different things like maybe because we had switched him off the ventilator like switched from like we just pushed they wanted to push him to like get onto a different ventilator without pushing him too hard and so then they were like well maybe we did push him too hard and that's why his oxygen needs went up so we're gonna put him back on the other ventilator that doesn't require so much effort on his part and then that night we were at my parents house for dinner and we got a phone call um saying that he his color didn't look good and that he they just were like we wanted you to know his color doesn't look good we think he's got an infection um we just didn't want you to be like surprised when you came in and saw him and i remember like we left my parents house and um there were a couple neighbors outside just kind of talking and they saw us and they were like are you going down to see that sweet baby of yours and i'm like all emotional because i'm like yeah we are going to go see him but he's really sick And I was kind of mad at everyone because I was mad that everyone kind of like, no one understands the NICU journey unless you've been through it. And especially with the 24-weeker, it is so hard. Like, they go through so much. They're so sick. And we had been posting updates constantly on Facebook. And so a lot of people were like, oh, he's like doing so well. Like, he's in the clear almost. And I was always mad at that because I was like, no, you don't understand. 
like yeah he's had some good days but that doesn't mean he's better he's not at all <laughs> like it was almost like they were like oh so now he's like gonna just grow and he'll just be fine and I'm like no that's not how it works at all mm-hmm. so I remember them saying that it just like made me so mad and frustrated and I know it was not them they just didn't know and <clears throat> they just were being friendly and then we got to the hospital got into the NICU and I remember um we got right to his bedside and I took one look at him and I just immediately started crying because he looked so 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 sick it was just devastating and then we started I called I like texted my mom I was like can you and dad come down I want dad and Skylar Skylar's my husband to give Milo a blessing because I was like I'm he had had so many blessings throughout the journey and I'm just like just as many as we can we just need all the help that we can get and so um let's see my dad finally came down um trying to remember the doctor so before my parents got there the doctor who we love he's an amazing doctor he's this cute little guy from france and he was like talking to us he always called him mr milo it was so cute Mm. with his little french accent and he was talking to us and he's like i'm really worried for milo he's like i'm kind of concerned it looks like he has sepsis um like he's just showing all the clinical signs sorry for sepsis and so I had heard that word before and I knew it was a big deal I knew it's like a lot of people die from it even adults and so I was like devastated and um they wanted to do a procedure and it kind of worked out right at the time I didn't want to be in there for it so it kind of worked out nicely my parents showed up I had to go and like um like bring them in and um they are putting in what's called an arterial line. It's just basically like a line in, in an artery so that they can take out blood and test it when they need to without having to poke him. And um, they could monitor his blood pressure constantly because that is um, what will drop when they go into septic shock. And so they had him on antibiotic. They were just like getting everything going. And my mom and I were waiting outside and my dad went in to be with my husband and um they weren't able to get it in the first time so we went back we spent a little bit of time they put him on some fluids because he just wasn't like he just had lost he just was so sick that all of like his blood like rushed to like the main organs of his body so his like extremities didn't have as much fluid and it was harder to like find the artery so they were like, we'll pump him full of fluids and then hopefully be able to find it easier. And um, then, so then they were going to try again. So me and my mom went out again and I was sitting there and just talking. Well, I started talking to one of the nurses and she was like, one of the charge nurses. And she was like, I was like, what are the chances of like a baby coming back from this? She's like, I don't know, but it happens it's she basically was like it's not like a death sentence it's scary and it's hard but there's a possibility he can come back from it 
She's like, I see it all the time, but I also see the opposite. So really, we don't know, but it's not a death sentence. I was kind of like, okay, this means he's going to die, basically, mm-hmm. is how I felt. And um, so then that reassured me. Then me and my mom were just sitting out there. And um, I remember one of the other NICU moms came up and just gave me a huge hug. And she's because she saw a bunch of people around his bed. And she's like, I'm so sorry. Is your baby sick? Like, and she just was like, I hate seeing them around there. I'm so sorry. Like, if you ever need anything, it was just like, like heaven sent almost. Like, I just felt so loved and taken care of in that moment. And just like, noticed like so like my pain was noticed and my hardship was noticed by someone that could relate to it come to find out later later on she actually lost her for her third child um he was born with a birth defect i don't remember which one it was like what exactly was wrong but he they kind of knew beforehand that he was going to die right after he was born and anyways but so she understands she gets Mm -hmm. she was able it was just like i've never felt like so much empathy from someone in my life anyways then she left we're still sitting out there and a nurse comes out and um she's like i think you need to come to the bedside right now and her voice i just knew i just knew something was wrong and I remember audibly, I just was like, no, 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 no. I just like kept saying no over and over and over again. She's like, I'm so sorry. Like, she just was like, I'm so sorry. There's just, it was just horrible. And so I go into the NICU and I start walking down to where Milo's bed is. And I see my husband. He's like sitting in a chair, just absolutely like folded over. And my husband, my husband, my dad is like, hugging him my husband's sobbing there's like a million people around milo's bed and um they're all just super like rushed and anxious and like very serious and so i knew something was going on and i remember i just like grabbed my husband and i just like sobbed and part of me is glad there wasn't there it was late at night it was like 10 30 and um I'm glad there were no other parents around because that would have been so traumatizing because it was just like everyone like nurses from all like all of the nurses were there and um there were three respiratory therapists there there was someone like taking notes there was a charge nurse who was doing putting medicine in the doctor was on the phone with the pediatric cardiologist because what had happened was they went to put the art line in and um they got it they got it successfully it was fine no big deal and then milo's heart just stopped and honestly we don't know why we don't know what happened and the doctor doesn't know either and so um they said he died of a heart block which means the electric part of the heart i don't really know like the terms but (laughs) it just stopped like being able to beat completely and so they were doing compressions on him 
and the blood wasn't able to completely get to his whole body so he wasn't able to get oxygen everywhere and um so that they were doing that and I'm just sitting there by my mom my mom's crying we're all just crying I'm trying to tell my dad to contact Skylar's parents and they're trying to get my sisters there and I'm just like praying and I remember I didn't have my phone but I just like texted in on my Apple watch just like pray for Milo that's all I said in like our group messages and everything I just was like everyone who can see this like needs to just we just need to pray for him and I'm just like praying but I kind of had this feeling that I just kind of knew I don't know I don't know how to explain it and I I kind of knew for a while I think because a few days like a week prior to that my dad had um given me a blessing and I after just a really hard like care conference is what they call it when you meet with a doctor and they just like talk to you about kind of what's going on all of the I mean there's a huge long list of all the things that they're working on like feeding and his heart his brain his lungs just everything and so um after a really hard one my dad gave me a blessing and I just remember feeling like it didn't it didn't tell me like I didn't feel like oh he's gonna be okay I didn't ever have that feeling and it was almost kind of like whatever happens you'll be able to get through it and so I kind of just like knew in that moment like I didn't feel any peace from that blessing and I did you know like I knew I wasn't alone but I didn't feel like we're gonna I just kind of knew I don't know I don't know how to explain it it's just like I knew but I didn't want to believe it and then my husband that night that Milo was really sick the night that he passed away my husband gave him a blessing and I could just tell that words weren't coming to him and like I just again I just knew like I was like he's not he doesn't I don't know it's hard to explain because it's kind of like I don't know and so I remember the doctor came and my husband and I were sitting next to each other and he came after they had been doing chest compressions for about 20 minutes and he was like we just did we just tested his blood and it's really acidic and that causes brain damage and that happens because he doesn't get enough oxygen to his body basically and so he isn't able to adequately get rid of the carbon dioxide in his body and replace it with oxygen and so he was like i'm going to ask for your permission to just let him go peacefully how do you answer a question like that you know how do you say okay like It, I hope no one ever has to do that. I mean, I know there are lots of people who have, but it is heartbreaking. And I, there was nothing to do, and I knew that. I knew that they had done everything they could. They had given him 
all these medications to try and start his heart. They were on the phone with the pediatric cardiologist. And they didn't know how to get his heart started again. It just wouldn't. And even if they had at that point, he would have suffered so much brain damage. And so I just knew. And I just had to say, okay, like, just let him go. And um, I remember... I remember I was I, had, I threw up a couple times like I said I get really anxious and I throw up and I felt like I couldn't adequately sob I couldn't cry hard enough because I didn't want to throw up and also like I wanted to just break down and sob but I knew I'd throw up and I didn't want to throw up everywhere and they finally brought me over to his bed and they had cut all of the cords and stuff and um, disconnected him from everything and they sorry they brought him to me and they put him on my chest and he passed away as I was holding him and uh, um yeah man <laughs> I remember it was really sweet and because most of the time his eyes were closed. He, he was born and his eyelids were still fused together, but at about like three weeks, like two and a half weeks of life, he opened his eyes. They like unfused and he opened them. And I remember when they were bringing him to me, his eyes were open. And as I was holding him, his eyes were open and then he, he passed and obviously they closed, but it was just like, it was really sweet that he had his eyes open because that was like a rare thing it almost kind of felt like he was like just saying goodbye to us you know and then um then they took us to another room and my family came and I just held him for as long as I could. And I (laughs) did all the little, like, mom things that I never got to do with him. Because when a baby is that premature, you're not supposed to stroke them. Because that is, like, overstimulating for their brain. You're not supposed to, like, bounce them or rock them. You just, like, hold them with firm, like, touches. Firm but gentle, you know. And so I did all the things that I wanted to. I kissed him. I, like, played with his hands. I, like, rubbed his back. You know, the little, like, mom things that you want to do. I rocked him in the chair. Um, then someone came and we did all these little, like, oh, man, these little things. We changed his diaper. We gave him a sponge bath. We, they, like had us dress him we swaddled him um and they took pictures of him and just all these little things to remember they made hand molds and um we gave him my husband gave him a blessing and we said a family prayer and then we let everyone who wanted to hold him and 
<clears throat> then we had everyone leave and it was just my husband and I and we just took some time with him and we prayed we just <laughs> just hard you don't we never I mean you don't ever imagine doing that and um I remember being so tired, but like I just didn't want to leave. It was like three in the morning and I just didn't want to leave him, but we had to, you know? And we finally left and I remember my boobs hurt so bad because like when I woke up the next morning, I was just so full of milk, so engorged and it was like so heartbreaking to just know like he's gone it was like a constant reminder you know and we spent the next day over at my parents house I just didn't even want to be around anything in my house there were so many baby things everywhere the nursery the it was just everywhere and um we went over to my parents and my sisters, bless their souls. They went over to my house and they, like, basically, like, did a baby sweep. And they put everything in his closet in his nursery. So it was just, I didn't have to see it. My husband didn't have to see it. We only had the essentials out, like, the pumping essentials that I needed for a few more days while I was weaning off of it. And, um... I had a ton of milk frozen in the freezer and um, they took that for me so I didn't have to take it. They brought it over to my parents house and put it in the freezer um, and yeah just so many things just um, I don't even that week after he passed was kind of just a blur was just spent at my parents house mostly and just a lot of emotion um and then we um we weren't sure if we were going to be able to see him again because of the autopsy he was so small that they didn't know like what condition his body was going to be in and so we weren't sure if we'd be able to see him again and I mean luckily we were able to so the day of the funeral they had us come and my sister had bought on Monday we bought this tiny little white outfit to put him in it was from this online place like the only place you could find micro preemie clothes and so the mortician he dressed him and then had us come in and we saw him and it, it was hard obviously to see him again but in a way it was kind of healing because for me it didn't feel like my baby I don't know how to explain it like where the difference was between Sunday night when he passed and I was holding him and obviously he had already passed away when we were doing all those things but 
and where the dif- what the difference was. I don't know what it was. But it just didn't feel like... I mean, obviously he's mine. But it felt like he wasn't... He wasn't there. Like, that, that little baby, that little body was not, like, just him. It's not like he's gone forever. And that brought me a lot of peace. And then we had the funeral that day. It was just a graveside service. I only wanted family and close friends and it was perfect it was the most beautiful service ever my sisters gave a little small eulogy I guess of his little quirks and cute little things that he would do and Skylar's sister gave the perfect talk (laughs) just a little perfect thing I remember one thing that stuck out for me stuck out from what she said was um that she said something about how much Milo loves us and that was just like what stuck with me and I could feel him you know I could feel how much love he had for both Skylar and I and man <laughs> I could feel his I don't know how to explain it because I just knew he was there, you know? I don't know if you've ever had a loved one pass away, but you can just, you just know. Like, you can just feel them there. And that was shocking. It wasn't shocking to me that he was there, but what was shocking to me was how at peace I felt at his funeral and how okay I felt. And I was like, it was hard, obviously. I mean, I wasn't okay, but... I was like, okay, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And I really think it was because I could feel him. I could feel peace. And I knew, like, that I would see him again. I know that it's not the end, (laughs) even though it is so hard and it sucks so bad to not have him here, not be able to raise him. But I just felt so much peace. And then probably for a good while, I felt, probably for like three weeks after he had passed, I remember just being like, I should hurt more. Like I, like I hurt, but at the same time I felt carried. I felt carried by the people around me. I have an amazing support system. I felt like angels around me. I know that sounds maybe cliche or something. But I really, and I felt the strength of everybody's prayers, everybody who was, we had so many people just, like, reach out. They gave us money, food, just so many amazing, amazing people who I knew were praying for us, sending love, and I could feel that. It's so strange. I don't know how to explain it, but I could feel it. Like, I, I literally felt carried. Yeah. And to be religious for a second, I know that, um, like, Jesus Christ was carrying me, you know, and my husband and my family and everyone who had to, who was close to us who was suffering from Milo's death. And, um, 
it was for probably those three weeks that I just felt completely carried and I was sad and I would cry but it wasn't ever like I didn't I was able to also feel happy which I was not expecting I honestly as we were driving down to the hospital that night that Milo passed away I remember thinking if we lose him I will honestly have to be institutionalized (laughs) like there's I just will fall apart completely and what has astounded me is how I haven't fallen apart. I hurt and I ache and I miss him. More than I can explain. But I still, like, I have to move on and I'm still able to move on. And and I'm still able to laugh and I'm still able to feel happy at times but at the same time there's anger there's sadness I don't understand I don't get why why Milo was taken from us I don't I don't understand and I don't know if I ever will I'm sure there will be reasons where I look back on this time and I say oh look look at this great thing that happened in my life Look at how losing Milo has changed me and shaped me into this person. But for now, it's like, I don't understand. It's hard to see anything else. Mm-hmm. And um, I kind of explain and say that grief is kind of like it comes on in waves. And some days, it'll just feel like you're sticking your feet in the ocean and the water's just kind of coming up. And it's just a little reminder, like, oh, oh, I miss him. Oh, you know? And it's sad, and you feel sad. But then there are days where you're completely just overwhelmed. And you can't seem to find which way's up or how to, like, break free of those waves and like find air (laughs) breathe function and some days are in between and even not even it doesn't even have to be a day sometimes it's like a moment where you're feeling overcome with grief and then extreme gratitude and or whatever you know and sometimes you feel two emotions at once because I've noticed recently, like, I still am kind of mad at God. You know, I'm, I'm mad that he took my baby because I don't know anyone who wouldn't be, honestly. And, but at the same time, I still am deeply grateful for everything that I have. I still love God, but I'm mad at him. It's, you're, humans are capable of feeling more than one emotion at a time. Yeah. And that's kind of what's astounded me in this whole thing is how I don't know like the ebbs and flows of emotion and just how you can be two things at once it's not black and white there is all of this gray in between and just for um, everyone listening can you let them know how long ago this just happened to you Just so they fully understand how incredible and brave you are for being here right now. (laughs) So, 
Milo passed away on August 25th of 2019, so it's barely been a month since he's passed. So it's still really, really fresh. <laughs> and I'm still <clears throat> obviously figuring it out. I still don't I still don't fully understand it. I don't know what I'm going to be feeling a week from now, a month from now, I don't know. Well, you are <clears throat> incredible. And I'm so grateful. Um, just hearing your story makes me appreciate more. Um, sorry. <laughs> I just want you to know how many moms you are blessing with your bravery and your willingness to share what you've shared tonight. And the details and the things that people don't talk about. This is not a topic that gets talked about enough. And I believe this topic is something that makes you feel more alone than most things on this earth. And so I really appreciate um, the detail that you've gone into and the things that you've shared. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about? I can't think of anything really. <clears throat> I'd just say to anyone who's out there who's going through this, just just let yourself feel. Just let whatever emotion you're feeling, just let it be. Just let that be what it is. And if you're... And just don't feel any shame for what you feel. You know, everybody's grief experience is completely different and what I've experienced is not what everyone will experience and but don't feel shame about what you're feeling let yourself feel it and really just rely on those around you and even if you are mad at God still just talk to him <laughs> even if you're mad tell him how mad you are that I mean I know I'm not I am not one to lecture on religion. <laughs> I was actually really distant from religion and spirituality before all of this happened, but that has helped me a lot to be able to just say what I'm feeling, even if I'm mad, just be mad at him. I think that's great advice, because the longer you push away a feeling, the longer it's going to take for you to heal from it. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much, Amanda. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Rising Phoenix podcast. If you feel like you can relate and would be open to share your story with us, please email us at risingphoenixpodcast at gmail.com. For more information on local and national resources for pregnancy and postpartum health, visit www.postpartum.net or www.psiutah.org. We are recording from the Stone Sheba podcast studio in Provo, Utah. Check them out on Instagram for more info on our podcast and others. Thanks for listening.